This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. We are so excited to have a special guest with us today, Mr. John Mark Whittington. Shane, you want to tell us a little bit about him? John Mark is brand new to the insurance industry. He is a retired military veteran. I'm going to let him give a little more background on that in just a minute, but he's been with us for almost two months, right at two months, and he's just right off the street, get a license, go through some training that's probably about to make him go stir crazy sitting in an office because he's ready to get out, but this is a great perspective to hear from someone who's just kind of getting their feet wet and getting off the ground. So, John Mark? Yeah, I I grew up in Corgan, Texas and joined the Army in the summer of 2000. Prior to September 11th, I was just thinking I was going to join the Army, go four or five years, jump out of airplanes, learn how to blow a lot of cool stuff up and do my time and get out. And then September 11th happened. The next 18 years went by with a blur. And next thing I know, they're telling me I either need to retire or try to get to the next rank. And so I retired in 2020 and moved back to Lufkin, Texas and sold power sports for two years. Had a blast doing it. Fun industry. Got to meet a lot of cool people. Post-COVID shortages kind of slowed things down to a slow grind and... I started a landscaping company, which I had a lot of fun with. Nobody bothered me, but I did miss communicating with people. My wife appreciated me. You know, now I won't come home smelling anymore. So I am now selling insurance for Integra Insurance Services. So, you know, not smelling is the newest (laughs) attribute of becoming an Integra partner agent. I mean, that is just one of those things that I never really thought of, but... I like it. That's going to go in our brochure. It definitely is. Hey, so what did you retire? What was your rank? I was SAR first class when I retired. Okay. So I would love to know the crossovers that you're seeing between the insurance industry and being in the military. There's actually some stark contrast. I want to provide great customer service and be like the most likable. Everybody wants to be liked whether they admit it or not. In the Army, you didn't have to make anybody like you. They just had to respect you. And you could lead by fear in certain moments if you had to. Here, you know, it's uh, customer service is like everybody's top priority. So I'll say there's more stark contrast of being in the service and selling insurance than there are alike. Now, there are some things that are a lot alike. When it comes to how I'm going to market myself and take territory, a lot of those are secrets of war that I may keep in my war chest. I may reveal some, I may not. It could be detrimental to taking out some of our biggest adversaries in the insurance <laughs> industry. So uh, I like to use a lot of military analogies, even if it's all fun and jokes, like rivalry with some neighborhood companies. I've been very interested to kind of understand the interest you've had in the insurance industry, especially after spending... 20 years in the military, there's a whole aspect there that I think us civilians just don't get. Through the first couple of months, as you've kind of had to go through some disciplines and getting a license is not just flipping a switch. No, it's not. And certainly going through training and things like that. So what's been maybe the most surprising thing so far in the first couple of months versus the thing that was the least surprising? I've always fancied myself a really good test taker. And I 
was not feeling very confident going into that test because there was just so much information. It was like drinking straight from a fire hose. And it's 145 questions in three hours. And I talked to God a few times during my <laughs> test, and I just knew for sure that I was a goner and I was going to have to be one of those second-time testers. And lo and behold, I pulled one out in the bottom of the ninth and passed. So I was a little surprised of the level of difficulty. There was two other guys. I don't know who they are, but I do know they were both in there for a second time when I took my test, and they both failed again their second time. So that was very surprising. Yeah, and you were on the heels of a young man that we had hired just a couple of weeks prior to your start date who had taken his test, and he was fresh out of college. So he's been in study mindset, and he had passed his test, which kind of put some pressure. It did. Yeah. And in my defense, too, that kid, Turner, also has a yeah. STEM major from yeah. university. Yeah. I mean, he's not... He's, yeah, not, he's not a normal mind. No, he's he's not. He's not normal. In a good way. In I'm a like, good way. you yeah. this in a no, good way? I did. Turner, that's what I meant. I meant in a good way. In a very good way. So how do you balance work and life as you're starting this new industry? Well, the cool thing about selling insurance, well, I haven't officially really started selling hardcore. I'm still in some classes right now, but there's not really going to be a balance because to me, it's not really like work. You're just talking to people. So I'm an avid hunter and I fish when I can, but I really get after it in hunting. I'm always going to be working. I don't care if I'm on a deer stand and somebody calls me and wants to talk insurance. I'm going to shut the windows right quick, carry on a conversation with them. I'm never going to be not selling insurance. It's not work if you enjoy it. We've talked a lot about marketing where you are. That's a little bit of what, when we first talked, you kind of brought to the surface um, without even really knowing it, is that there are things that you love and that you're interested in, you're passionate about, and you're going to market through that lens, through those same, those places. And I think that's really cool, talking about deer stand, talking about hunting, talking about hunting leases, talking about the people. I'm big on being authentic and passionate about what you do. And if you have to do it, if you have to overdo it, you have to think about how you're going to do it, it's not gonna work. What's a myth that you believed about the industry that once you started with us, you realized it was completely untrue? Nobody's gonna have to force me to golf. I'm not going to have to golf to sell insurance, which is a stereotype that I was always my whole life. You have to golf and be part of a country club to sell insurance. And don't have to do either. You can just be who you are. I love it. My problem was that I initially thought, okay, I got to go do this. We're a small town agency. We had to go do this. Went to conferences, went to the different things for the industry. I show up naturally. They have a golf outing. That was the only thing they really offered outside of a trade show and meetings. This is going back to the late 90s. And so I go get a set of golf clubs. Now I'm a baseball player. And if you've ever seen a baseball player play golf without converting the swing to a golf swing you hit a lot of doubles down the line and a lot of doubles down the right field line and left field line are not good in golf slices and hooks yeah i tend to do that a lot and i only played golf about once every eight to nine months to play golf it's a sport you got to play all the time to get good at it and i never did and so i found it to actually be the thing that i didn't need to do because i would just go embarrass myself with the group of guys that i didn't know so that was not the best networking experience early in my insurance days and so i just put the golf clubs up and eventually gave the golf clubs away that's a really good analogy that has changed dramatically from the time i entered the industry in the mid-90s to today. 
I'm so terrible at golf that when my husband and I go play, we don't keep score. <laughs> it's just better for our marriage to just go play, but there is no scoring involved. John Mark, what's the best compliment you would give yourself? My last job in the Army, I was the operations manager for a unit that trained military advisors for second world up-and-coming militaries. Central America, countries in Africa, you're not first world, not quite third world. Half of it is influence and negotiation, which we put a lot of our guys through a ton of influence and negotiation classes, but it made me so comfortable talking to somebody with nothing in common that you can drop me off in any environment and conversationally I will thrive and survive. And it's one, because I like people, but two, just because it became second nature when you're negotiating with second and third world local nationals about whether it's using their land to do some military training on it for the military you're developing to defeat the rebels in their area. I just got used to dealing from people from all walks of life, and I'm just really comfortable regardless of who's in the room. What advice would you give to our listeners on how to do that? I'll get outside of your comfort zone. Go be around people that aren't like you or got nothing in common with you. Don't be afraid to not take the same vacation to wherever every year and go somewhere where they don't speak the same language as you or you know, or even look like you. Try that new Mediterranean restaurant instead of going to the same steakhouse you've went to six weeks in a row. Do stuff that makes you uncomfortable. John Mark stepping on my toes a little bit here. I am a creature of habit. So many people are creatures of habit. Why do you think that we are like that? We're social creatures in one way, but we're also creatures of habit. What is the thing that keeps us from actually taking that step? The freedom to get into a schedule and not be messed with. What about fear? People fear anything they don't understand or know. Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Nobody's seen him actually do the job yet, but the whole world's freaking out. (laughs) You know, I mean, let's see what he... I mean, you know, it could be great, it could be bad, but everybody's fear of the unknown drives them. If you spend $44 on something, you can pretty much do what you want, I guess. He could, yeah. (laughs) I think he pretty much is. (laughs) He's pretty much doing what he wants at this point. What are you passionate about? Besides LSU football. Besides LSU football, I, uh, because I think because I lost so much time getting to be in the woods hunting in the 20 years in the Army, uh, that is one of my biggest passions. And I've got an 11-year-old daughter. She just turned 11 yesterday. And everywhere I go, her and our two-year-old Corgi go. So that's how we bond. My daughter and me, we're used to jumping in a truck, taking a three-day trip somewhere and either hunting or fishing. And that's my white buffalo. That's my white well like Ahab. I have to chase it. I keep telling myself my New Year's resolution this year is going to be to start practicing jiu-jitsu again at a real jiu-jitsu gym with real jiu-jitsu practitioners. And there's nothing like that calorie burning. It's like wrestling in a sauna, but you're laser focused and locked in. And I took it for granted when I was in the Army and I was forced to do jiu-jitsu because it was something I was being told I had to do. That takes some of the luster away when you're being forced to do something. It's not as enjoyable. But now that I'm retired, I look back and it's actually that high school girlfriend you can't forget. Jiu-jitsu has been heavy on my mind the last three years, really. So what lessons from jiu-jitsu can you apply to being an agent? Your opponent gives you some kind of defense. Don't make it two walls hitting each other. Be water, like Bruce Lee said. Be water in a fight. You're going around. The defenses of your enemy, don't take no. Most people start saying no to you during an insurance pitch just because they don't feel like talking about it that day or it stresses them out or they're worried about change. You know, they're not really worried about saving money each month as much as they are. They don't want to have to worry about it. Get to where you don't take no for an answer. Insulting them or, you know, 
upsetting them. Yeah, so you said folks don't like being forced to do something. I am on record about the politically charged word of mandate here over the last few years. And we sell products that have its beginnings a lot of times around mandate. You've got to have auto insurance to register your vehicle to be legal on the road. You buy a house, you want a mortgage, you've got to go get insurance. The bank's going to require that. We sell a product that has mandate connotations to it. But one of the things that we preach is trying to move beyond that in the conversation and move it to, this is good for you. Transferring this risk is going to allow you some peace of mind. It's going to allow you to be more free, have less worry, etc. How do you feel about that? You're still a little bit on the consumer side. You're making the shift over into agent world, into the risk manager, risk advisor world. Tell me about that shift a little bit. Even though it is actually mandated, if you can convince, and you're not lying, you're not blowing smoke up the rear end, if you can convince your customer that you're actually here to help them have peace of mind at an affordable rate, make them feel like it's not something they're being told they have to do. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a really good sergeant major one time that was probably the man of the fewest words of all the sergeant majors I worked for. And he never overreacted. And I still talk to him a lot to this day. He told me one time, it ain't as bad as you think it is, but it ain't as good as you think it is either. And he just really coached me to have realistic expectations of every situation. And when I actually started applying his logic, I was never disappointed but I was never over the top either. I was right where I probably should have been at an even kill mentally going into every situation. Okay, see, now I understand why you and Shane are in this together. Yeah. That's right. There we go. Because I'm not the rah-rah guy. I'm That's not, why you I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too yeah. low. So now, Even kill is my name. Yep. He would always caveat that with, regardless of your anger, you never let anybody else's emotions make you act. Never show emotion over somebody else's emotion. And then there's other things I learned on my own in leadership. I didn't feel like I'd finally mastered being a leader until it was time to hang it up. My last two years in the service, I was like, man, I really get this leadership thing. And I really enjoyed leading people. And they love me. And I love them like family. And we were extremely close. If I was guilty of anything when I led people, was I was an emotional guy. I probably loved them too much. That's just who I am. I'm going to treat everybody like family. Everybody's welcome in until you have to leave. And I didn't learn the last pillar of leadership, being empathetic. I didn't finally master that till it was time to walk away. One of the first things I noticed about Integra is Shane has this motto, slow to hire, slow to fire. And I noticed how close everybody was. And like me and you talked earlier, like I thought somebody was playing a joke on me. It's like, there's no way everybody's this nice. Right. I'm waiting on that movie like Get Out. You know what I mean? Like I'm the experiment, you know? <laughs> but that was not the case. I mean, everybody legitimately was authentically th- themselves and very empathetic. And Shane leads with a lot of empathy. And I was like, you know what? I can go be part of this because it reminded me of where I was at the end of my 20-year career. Besides being empathetic, what do you think are important characteristics of a great leader? Lead by example. Be empathetic. Don't overreact, which... Obviously, with one of Shane's mottos is being slow to hire, slow to fire, he certainly takes his time and makes rational decisions. Never forget you were there once, too, also. I mean, that's another one. You treat everybody from the janitor to the CEO with the same handshake. I think decisiveness 
is one that's come to me lately. When it's time to make a decision, make the decision. There are reasons to be slow. Procrastination gets a bad negative rap, but some things I've procrastinated on, but in hindsight, those things, the timing wasn't right. So I really wasn't procrastinating, but the timing wasn't right. It felt like procrastination, but then when it came time to do something or came time to act, that you made a decision and you went with it. I have exactly zero experience in military or battle. I do have a lot of respect and have read eons of articles and books and everything that talk about decisiveness within a leadership standpoint. That's something that's new in terms of thought for me. And that's one thing that I want to continue to get better on. When you're in a leadership position, whether it's at home, whether it's in your business, whether it's church, whatever, it's time to make a decision. You got to make a decision. Somebody's got to make the decision. That is one thing that I would encourage people to continue to grow on as well. In other words, don't be a squirrel when it comes to decision making. Go left, go right, not under the tires. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what's your business pet peeve. I don't know if I've been in business long enough to have one. I'm sure we do this a year down the road. I'll have plenty of pet peeves, but I can't think of one right off. What about as a consumer? What about on the other side, customer side? What can you not stand? Being on hold. (laughs) My boat lender, they were accidentally taking a boat note, which is not a problem because I like to pay stuff off early, but my wife wasn't happy with it. For some reason, when they draft their monthly note they're taking it twice so i was calling them you know just like you know hey what's going on i was on hold for three hours and then they hung up on me and i don't want anything to do i'm not gonna name the bank but they're a national bank and i i don't want anything to do with them i don't ever want to finance anything through them again yeah being put on hold that's a pet peeve what did you want to be when you grew up you're gonna laugh at this there was a plywood plant in my hometown of Corgan, Texas called Georgia Pacific. When I was a kid, it was called Champion. And all of my greatest male role models in my life that we grew up hunting and fishing with all worked at the mill. And when I was in high school, all I knew I wanted to do was play high school football for the Corgan Camden Bulldogs and then graduate and go work at the mill. That's what I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to work at the mill and hunt and fish. Well, growing up in Northeast Louisiana, those mills, that's the smell of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was good work. Yeah. It was good pay, solid good pay. We had I mean, five mills and three parishes or counties yeah in the area where i grew up so yeah i, I totally get that i'm glad you corrected the parishes to counties so that the rest of the world would know what we're well, talking you about know, in louisiana we <laughs> have parishes i'm half cajun so i get the parish thing but most of our listeners probably would be like what is she talking about <laughs> maryland still uses parishes too right no, no just louisiana okay it's down to just louisiana just louisiana yeah well i hope they never change that because i like it <laughs> So what military battle strategy are you using as you're moving into the insurance industry? Well, let me say this. Before I joined the Army, we were in the Clinton-era Army, so it wasn't a lot of money for the Department of Defense during those eight years of Clinton. And we had to do a lot of hip pocket training and traditional warfare. Prior to September 11th, we were still training to fight the Chinese and Russians in trench warfare like World War II. September 11th happens, and we realize we're going to have to start going into second, third world countries all over the world because we're not fighting a uniformed opponent. They are a guerrilla fighter who is going to come take his shots at you, and then he's going to go blend in at the local market. So the military came up with a phrase called coin operations. It's counterinsurgency. 
And the primary objective of the coin mission was to win the hearts and minds of the locals and have them turn on Al-Qaeda, the Taliban. And that was the primary objective of this coin was to win the hearts and minds. So when I say nobody really likes insurance because they don't like being mandated anything, but everybody has to have it. So if you could just win the hearts and minds of people with your personality, they kind of forget. Selling insurance is not easy because it's not a product you can physically see. I mean, you're not selling somebody a new car. You're not selling somebody fancy jewelry. There's no quantifiable hard structure to show them what you're selling them. They're spending money on something that is just there for their peace of mind if they ever happen to need it. I kind of said I'm going to win the hearts and minds of all of my customers. They forget their body insurance and they just, I'm not being funny here, but paying to be my friend. We talk a lot about building relationships and I think that fits into an even better way of explaining that because... Look, the reality of it is, is if you have a thousand customers and 2,500 policies, it's really hard to be extremely close with a thousand people. When we talk about building relationships, I mean, somebody might be sitting out there going, how am I supposed to build relationships with a thousand people? But really what you just said is becoming their friend. I would say at the core of that is you genuinely have to care about what happens to that person and that their assets are covered, that they feel good, that what they have is going to be replaceable. The things that are replaceable can be replaced because insurance becomes this backstop. And I really like what your description is. Well, coin? Coin, yep. Counterinsurgency. Counterinsurgency. I really like that better than build relationship because build relationships could come across potentially as how am I supposed to be authentic with a thousand people that I just met? What John Mark's talking about is a better fit than just this sort of tired term of relationship selling. And so I really like that a lot. We're going to be the first insurance organization to adopt military strategy. <laughs> you probably save that one for a different podcast. <laughs> I was impressed by the structure and battle rhythm of the training. I mean, I was never overwhelmed, but it was just a steady beat of a jazz song. Training from start to finish, and I'm almost there. I finished Friday. Well, congratulations. Yes. Well, I'm going to let you close us out today with your favorite quote. My favorite quote from General Patton in World War II. After five tours, that comment just still motivates me to this day, and I get chills when I think about it. He goes, we're not going to win a war by you going over there and dying for your country. We're going to win this war by going over there and making that bastard die for his. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.